We are continuing our series called In the Spirit, and this morning we are on Pentecost Sunday. So I don't know if anyone, if you know what that means. I know that if you've not been part of a Pentecostal church in the past, that probably hasn't been something that they've drawn attention to. But for us, this is big. We are Pentecostal church. Pentecost Sunday is a big deal for us. And so, and it fits really well with our In the Spirit series. We're going to move away from Ephesians 4 just for a moment this morning. But in saying that, many of the themes and stuff we're going to talk about this morning tie back heavily to what we've been talking about all month long. And it's going to bring us into the conclusion of our series next week, which I'm not going to say anything about, um, but I hope that you come out, enjoy, tune in online, and participate in the finale of our In the Spirit series. But in the heart of Pentecost, and everything that we're going to talk about with the Acts 2 story, so if you have your Bible, you want to turn there, Acts 2 is where we will be this morning. I thought it would be appropriate if following service, if anyone was interested, either in person, at Redverse, or online, if you wanted to take a moment this morning and just pause, and just allow the Spirit to rest on you this morning, and maybe experience the Holy Spirit in a new way that maybe you haven't done before. Um, if you're part of the Set Free, we did this as part of the Set Free retreat, so we're going to do it again. We're opening it up to everybody. So if that is something that interests you, the way that this morning is going to work, because we'll give you a couple minutes to hang out and chat in here, we're going to ask that everyone who doesn't want to participate would just move out to the foyer, or you can hang out in the overflow, because we're not using the overflow right now. And everyone who would be interested in just taking some time this morning and letting God do the talking, letting God do the speaking in your life, you're invited to just stick around at all of our locations, and we will make space for that to happen for you. No pressure. If everyone clears out, I won't be offended. But I wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity this morning for a time of prayer, a time of rest, a time of soaking. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say about that. Question number one, as we kind of think about that, have you ever experienced, ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you, have you ever heard that terminology? Have you ever experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, because this is something that's talked about in Scripture, this is something we talk about at church, but it's a valid question. If we've never experienced it, maybe the question is, if you've never experienced it, do you want to experience it? Is this something that you desire? Maybe it's not. Maybe this whole idea just kind of freaks you out. That's fine. We'll bring you around. Don't worry. It won't, be, it won't freak you out forever, but if if you're watching online, throw a comment. But it, have you ever been filled? And it's one of these things where you can be like, ah, I think kind of. That's okay. Uh, kind of is an appropriate answer for that. Um, small group, you guys are going to have fun talking about that, I'm sure. Um, Darren likes to give you a hard time at small group, so, you know, it'll be fun. Um, <clears throat> anyways. So have you ever been filled with the Spirit? And so I want you to think about that question as we dive into the story this morning. Again, I said we're in Acts 2. Um, we're going to take this slowly through the story. I want to point out some important facts along the way. Um, if you don't have a Bible, again, if you have the Bible app that we suggest, 
it will give you the cues at the bottom of the screen to get to where you need to be to follow along. So, Acts 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first part of the story, this initial part, um, the big thing to point out, and this should have rang in your ears, you've been following along with the series, they were all together they were all unified as the church. They were all praying together. They were all of one accord, the scripture says. And we talked about that, right? That's where we started, that a church in the spirit, if we're all in the spirit, led by the spirit, one of the things we're going to hunger and work hardest for is to maintain unity within the body. And it all started right here. The disciples were together they were unified in purpose. They were unified in passion. They were unified in this place. And then we read that the Holy Spirit comes. It sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It sounds powerful. But in fact, it says that the Holy Spirit divided out in tongues of fire and rested on them. Now, if you've been following along with our reading plan that we've been doing all week, if you haven't been, this is not a guilt trip, but you, this, this wording should have stood out, should have been clicked something in you, because we've been doing some readings to prepare us for Pentecost, and I think it was the second reading we did this week. We read Jesus' baptism, and this same flow of things happens at Jesus' baptism as it happens at Pentecost. We see in Matthew 3, starting in verse 13, Jesus came from the Galilee, came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John the Baptist is who we're talking about. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately... He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Not overflow him, not knock him off his feet with power. It descended gracefully like a dove to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit comes and rests on Jesus. And after the resting, after this peaceful encounter between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we read in John 1, oh, first question. What kinds of words come to mind when you think of the word rest? Think of that word. Just pause right there. Don't fall asleep. I know that's the first thing that comes to mind with rest is nap. Don't nap on me. We got, it won't be that long, I promise. But what kinds of words do you stir, what kind of feelings do you stir in you when you think of the word rest? 
And usually when we think of rest, we think of peace, we think of stillness, like I said, we think of nap, we think of grace and serenity and a sense that everything is good in the world. Um, They talk about how sheep will not lay down, they will not relax if they feel like something is wrong. They need to be at complete peace before they will rest. And I think the same is true for us. We just need to know that the world isn't going to blow up tomorrow before we can really, truly find rest. Things that rest does not bring to mind is chaos, does not bring to mind force. You can't be forced to rest. That doesn't work well. I've tried with children. It doesn't Forced nap doesn't work, okay? We all know this, parents. Anxiety, fear, these things are not synonymous with rest. Rest is peaceful. Rest is gentle. And so often when we talk about this filling of the Holy Spirit, so often when we talk about this, I want this baptism, I want this filling, I want to experience the gifts of the Spirit, we have this time frame that it is allowed to happen in, and, we're gonna, and we think about all the things we've got to do, we think about everything that went wrong in the day, we think about, we, our mind is so clouded and so full of stuff, and we think, I think we just expect that in the midst of the chaos that God is just going to ram his way in there and we're just going to be filled and everything's going to be better. And that's not how it works. We actually, and this is why we want to do this after service, we want to just pause. We just want to make time and say, God, this is your time. This is your opportunity. Everything else doesn't matter. I'm putting everything else out of my mind. I'm putting all my worries in your hands and I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, Come, and come and rest on me. Come and bring your peace and your love and your joy and your... Come and rest on us, Holy Spirit. Come and bring your peace. In the Acts story, it talks about the Spirit dividing out as tongues of fire. In the baptism, the Spirit is a dove. The Holy Spirit has so many images, so many things that have been used to describe it because the reality is as many things with God, we just don't have the words to describe the Spirit. We cannot put to words what we are seeing, what we are experiencing, but the one thing that is synonymous, whether it was in Scripture or it's in people's experience now, is this idea that the Spirit just comes and just rests on us. But it doesn't stop with resting. Because immediately after the Spirit rests on the, the apostles in Acts 2, what happens? They begin to speak. <clears throat> and the interesting thing about this, uh, this word speak that they use in the, in the story, the Greek word is used in scenarios like if Jesus met someone who was mute, had never been able to speak in their entire life, and suddenly they were healed of their muteness and could speak, that's the word that they would use. It's this transformation from not being able to speak to suddenly I just can't stop speaking, right? It's a flip. It is radical. It is new. It is exciting. And when it uses that word for the apostles, remember the apostles have been hiding. They're all together in one room, 
for safety because they're afraid the Romans and they're afraid the Pharisees are out to get them. And so they are hiding and they are silent and they're praying that God's going to protect them, praying that God's going to watch over them. And suddenly in this moment, they can't be silent any longer. Suddenly the Spirit comes upon them and they're given these gifts, they're given these, uh, this new passion and this new power and it just bursts out of them. They go from silent to not being able to silent. They just can't stop proclaiming the glories and the, the amazingness of the good news of Jesus. And it says that not only are they declaring it, but they're declaring it in so many different languages. Languages that they had never spoken before. And this is what we read in the rest of the story. Acts 2, starting in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others, mocking, said they're filled with new wine. There's always going to be the mockers, right? There's always going to be those who question the move of the Spirit. There's always going to be those that question, what is the church doing now? Why are they doing this? There's always going to be the mockers. There's always going to be those that oppose because we have a spiritual enemy who doesn't want us to operate in our gift. We have a spiritual enemy that doesn't want the church to advance and walk in the power that God has promised us. But the amazing thing is, is so many different nations, so many different languages all together, and no doubt having to have uh, translators in some cases. Some of them probably spoke two languages, their native one and their Jewish one, because they're Jews, they needed to know, uh, <clears throat> they needed to know Hebrew in order to study their scriptures. But it's nonetheless, they're hearing this the gospel, they're hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. And like I said, Galileans. Now, I don't know if that's a slam against Galileans, that they're uneducated or something, but forget the fact that Galileans, we're talking about fishermen, we're talking about carpenters, we're talking about people who were deemed unfit for further education. They weren't given the opportunity to learn these languages. And suddenly, these quote-unquote uneducated men and women, we discover, are declaring God's, God's mercies, God's amazingness, and they've never been outside of Israel. They've never had to learn another language. They've never been given the opportunity to learn another language. And suddenly, they're speaking languages they've never spoken before. 
It's so amazing. But the point is, is that the Spirit rests on them, and it doesn't stop there. It didn't stop with the resting. And all too often in our walk, if we're honest with ourselves as believers, we have our spiritual checklist, right? Maybe you got a daily one. Okay, I did my reading from my Bible plan on the Bible app. I, you know, I did my prayer, whatever that looks like. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't do this sin. Uh, maybe, you know, like we have our checklist. And on that checklist, we probably have a lifelong one of things we want to accomplish. And one of the things is I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit once. Then I check it off the list and I'm done. Yay me. Um, but that is not how Scripture presents the resting of the Spirit. Scripture says that when the Spirit would come, and all throughout Acts this happened, the Spirit would come, and people were inspired to act. People were inspired to get moving. That this power that was within them now couldn't just stay in them. They had to share it with the world. They had to share it with their neighbors. And so the question is, is that when we come and we ask for the filling of the Spirit, are we ready to go where the Spirit may lead us after we've been filled? That is the question, because it may not be immediate. It may not be, huh, I'm filled, let's go heal people. Like, it might not be that drastic, but there's got to be a willingness that there is going to come a time that as we are following and being led by the Spirit, there's going to be a moment when the Spirit's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, it's time. This feeling that you've experienced, this power that I have bestowed upon you, it's time to get it in action. It is time, because what is God's desire? God's desire in First Peter is that none shall perish, but all shall come to know the knowledge of the repentance of God. All. Everyone nobody left out and sometimes we can do it with our own words but sometimes we need a little extra juice we need a little extra spark we need a little extra inspiration and god knows this and that's why god has the opportunity for us to be filled in fact paul knew that this whole idea of operating in god's power was so was so important he says this to the corinthians in the second chapter of first corinthians he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now that's a significant thing. We're going to talk about why Paul's saying that's important. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God now Paul saying that he came as someone who didn't know some, anything is significant because Paul is not someone who didn't know anything Paul was a Pharisee he had the entire Old Testament memorized. He was trained to communicate it with clarity and passion and creativity. He was the, the super pastor, really is what he was for the Jewish people. It, he doesn't not know anything. He knows everything. He's got more than the Old Testament memorized. He's got all the extra writing, 
everything that's ever been said about the Old Testament, Paul's got it in his head. But he comes to the Corinthian church and he recognizes that all this knowledge and all this ability and all these giftings that he has really doesn't help in the long run because if our faith is grounded on mere knowledge, it's not enough. If it was enough, everyone at small group saw this already. I'm going to share it with everybody else now. Uh, Ray Dirksen made this comment recently. He said, the Western church is the most educated it has ever been in all of history. It's the most educated church in all of history, and we have the least to show for it. The Western church, he's talking about the North American church with this, is the most educated church in all of history, yet we have the least to show for it. Less than 1% of Canadians attend church on Sunday morning. Less than 1%. If knowledge was enough, if knowing more about Scripture and knowing more about the history and knowing more about everything was enough, then that should not be the number we're talking about. But the reality is, is knowledge is not enough. Because knowledge can grow stale. Knowledge can grow wearisome it can be it can our passion can wane if our faith is completely based simply on knowledge the reality is is that we need more which is why we need the spirit which is why we need to take these moments of pausing and allowing the spirit to fill us because at the end of the day it's going to be that experience of god's love that experience of god's presence that infilling powerful moment with God that comes upon each and every one of us that is what is going to sustain us in the hard times because the reality is is that no matter how much you know there's always going to be someone who knows a little bit more and if they know more and they can we've seen so many so much deception in the world so much twisting of truth to make it convincing if knowledge, knowledge is simply not enough we need this power, and a church in the Spirit. Like I said, we're going to be unified. We're going to grow in our maturity and faith, and we're going to do it together, encouraging one another through the unity we have in the Spirit. We're going to walk in the freedom that comes from being free of all the bondage and all the sin of our past life. We are made new, free from the weight and the pressures of the world. And the next step is in this newness, in this being set free from all that would hold us back. We are in, injected with this Holy Spirit power to do things that just doesn't seem possible. And Paul actually says later on in, this, in chapter 2, you actually start to learn things that you couldn't learn without the Spirit. You start to learn spiritual truths. You start to see the world in a way that is just simply not available to those who do not approach the world without God's Spirit. We need this infilling. We need this power. We need this... We need this extra little boost. Because we can go through life thinking we're good. We can go through life thinking that everything is fine. And you could accomplish great things for God without the Spirit, without that little extra kick in the pants power boost but why would you when we when the spirit is freely available to everyone 
the biggest evidence of that we need more of God's power, we need more of the Spirit's power in our life, is at the same time when the Western church is the most educated, if knowledge was enough, then why are the churches that don't have the access to the same amount of knowledge, why are the places that are remote and they don't even have a Bible to call their own, why is God moving? Why are those churches exploding? Why are they so effective in the ministry they've been called to if they don't even have a Bible to call their own? They don't even have access to it because it's dangerous to have access to it. It's because knowledge isn't enough. We see God's spirit. We see God's power in these areas of great persecution, of great restrictions and restraint. We see God's power moving in people because when you don't have knowledge, you've got God's power. People are being healed. People are being raised from the dead. People are being transformed. And I think if we're honest, we would love to see more of that in our church, but it starts, it doesn't, it can't just be me. It's got to be all of us. It can't just be me looking to be filled all of us need to be filled. All of us need to be operating in the power because all of us have this equal access to the power of the Spirit. Pentecost Sunday, the first Pentecost, was the kickstarter for the church. If that Sunday, I would dare say that if we don't have Pentecost, the Pentecost story, that the church doesn't explode the way that it does. But we read in Acts 2 that because of this powerful infilling that happens, the church goes from 120 to over 3,000 people in one day. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of growth in the church would be awesome. Imagine every Sunday we grew by 3,000 people. (laughs) Sweet. We need a bigger town. Um, (laughs) Because we don't have 3,000 people. Um... Could you, uh, uh, just, anyways, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. I'm going to stop because we're out of time. But imagine what we could do if each of us was just injected with just a pinch of the power that kick-started the early church. Imagine what we could accomplish. And it all starts by stopping everything and just pausing and allowing the Spirit to rest on us. And then after it has rested on us, it's the willingness to go wherever he may lead us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are not some undirected force that comes and goes and we cannot know you, but in fact you are a, you are a person who can be known, who can be grieved, but we can also bring joy to that you rest and you speak And so, Spirit, we invite you to come and to rest on each and every one of us. Spirit, we ask that you would come and empower us with your your gifts and your abilities and your vision and your clarity. And Spirit, I pray for that injection of your power. God, I thank you, Jesus, because of the price you paid that we are free from our sin God, that we are new people, and I thank you for the newness. I thank you, God. And if you gave us nothing else, that would be enough. The newness that you bestow upon us is is the only reason 
if that was the only reason we had, we would still worship you completely because of the freedom we have in you. But you didn't stop there. You gave us your spirit. You gave us your power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that kick-started the church is available to us today. The gifts are available to us today. And so, Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would quiet ourselves, that we would find that space, and we invite you to come, and that you would rest on us. Jesus, we love you. We give you all our praise and thanks. And we look forward to the big things you have planned for us this day and the rest of this week. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.